I just felt like I had to live by a list of do's and don'ts. And the don'ts list seemed a lot bigger than the do's list. And that felt not fun. And I didn't understand it. It felt like oppressive. I didn't see it as it being for my good. I just felt like he was out to make me miserable. Everything in life was hard. I mean, we moved to the Midwest where I swore I would never live. And three kids, under three, and not even sure I wanted kids. I was just grasping for all of these ways to like solve all of these problems that were coming to a head at once. And so life was miserable, actually. When I started spending time with Jesus, it's like, man, I can just look back now and see like, he changed everything. You know, like I just, I just had to sacrifice. In that sacrifice, he just brings so much freedom because he just, all he wants is for us to spend time with him. And he has so much to give to us and so much to pour out. He's an abundant God and he's a giver of amazingly good gifts. And all we have to do is press into that and press into him and to spend time with him. And yes, to sacrifice, but in the sacrifice, there is so much freedom. Freedom to me means I can enjoy a relationship with Jesus and have deep intimacy with Him. Isn't that great? So that is uh, Loretta Mancinelli, Matt's wife. Uh, Matt runs our, our tutoring program. For the next six weeks, uh, we're just going to hear from different people uh, and just how God has shown up in their lives and how they've experienced freedom. Uh, good morning. How are you? Uh, there are a ton of great things going on at Grace. Uh, I don't know that I've ever had more excitement um, just about what God is doing, and it's just crazy. But I wanted to share a few stories. I can't share everything with you because it would be the whole service. Um, but last Sunday, just a few highlights, at the pre-service prayer, uh, there's a group of people that meet in the chapel a half hour be before the services, and uh, they met, and they prayed for a particular individual who they knew would be watching on the web stream uh, who had not crossed the line of faith. They hadn't given their life to Jesus um, and so they prayed for her by name, and while she was listening to the web stream, she said yes to Jesus, and they ended up baptizing her on Monday. So just, uh, just a great story. And then I heard uh, another story that um, one of our young people in the tutoring program, so we have an after-school literacy program called SOAR, and uh, they finished their lesson plan and a little bit early, and the mentor said, what do you want to do? And he said, can we read? And she said, would you like to read something out of the Bible? And he said, sure. And so she read the uh, Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and he began to ask questions, and before they were done, he too gave his life to Jesus. So how's that? And that's worth getting up for, isn't it? Isn't that cool? Very cool. But it just seems like stories are just pouring in, and I love it. Uh, I also just want to thank you. Uh, Easter was the bomb. 
That means it was good for those of you who are older and don't know. Uh, but it was, it was incredible. Uh, the way you guys stepped up to serving, uh, we've never had to say, sorry, we have enough people serving. We don't have any other places for you to serve. Uh, it was great that we, we actually had to turn some people away. Yes. Uh, I know they're still looking for people and children, so let's keep that momentum going. Um, but the, the other thing that was cool is I asked you as regular attenders to park off-site to make room for our guests. And when I went out in the parking lot after the service, they were like, we had to start telling people to park in the parking lot. Like, no, really, there's parking spaces. Go in the parking lot. So just thank you for listening. Thank you for responding. Thank you for making it a great experience for our guests. Um, I know we had more than that, but I made 35 phone calls to new people that came and uh, typed in that little hello thing. So... Uh, just a ton of new people, and it was just great to see them here. So thank you. Give yourself a round of applause, because Easter was grand slam. All right, uh, we are in the series on Galatians, a series that we've called Free. And really, the reason we've called the series Free is because this is a a, a, a way for us to slow down and look at a letter that's about the gospel and it's about freedom that's found in the gospel. Before I get into what we need to talk about, I just want to let you know that we have six or seven C groups. Now, C groups are just small groups that meet in living rooms. Some of those living rooms are here in the church and some of those living rooms are in people's homes. But we have six or seven that are going through the book of Galatians while we're doing this. And so if you're not in a small group and you want to be in a small group, a C group, just go to the website. We have something called a C group finder. And if you just click on that, it'll show you the ones that are doing Galatians that still have room. And you just click on it, and it'll take you right to the leader of the group, and you can get plugged in and uh, continue to study this book with us. But this series is called Free, because Galatians is all about freedom. And I want to just bring that forward for you. It's imperative in this series, especially in the book of Galatians, which I think is actually a pretty hard book. If you just sit down and read it, it's hard to know, like, what does this mean for me? We need to set some foundational truths to uh, really grasp every everything we have. So uh, you are going to hear some things from me that are repetitive throughout this entire series, uh, but that's by design. It's my desire that maybe three years from now or four years from now or 10 years from now that when you pick up the book of Galatians, that there are just certain things you know about the book before you read it. So what I would love for you to say is, oh, I'm going to read Galatians. This is a letter written to help me to understand what the gospel really means and it's a book about freedom. If you just started with those two premises, it's about the gospel and it's about freedom, reading through the letter is going to be that much clearer for you. So you're going to hear that over and over and over. Paul is calling the readers back to the gospel. The gospel is that truth that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, and that when we put our faith in Jesus and nothing else, faith in Jesus, that we are saved for all eternity. That's the gospel. The kind of verse that summarizes, and this is what we spent most of our time with last week, is Galatians 5.1, where it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free, so stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. If you went back and you were to read the Gospels, you would see that Jesus actually said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. So for freedom is the reason that Christ came. And I love that this is a definitive statement. Christ has set us free. But then there's this this command and a a warning in the rest of the passage that we are to stand firm. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. How is it that we stand firm in the gospel? And when we don't stand firm, when we add something to the gospel or we take anything away from the gospel, we actually submit ourselves 
to the yoke of slavery. So the, the truth of the gospel, knowing the truth of the gospel, and living out the truth of the gospel brings freedom. Anything else is going to bring about bondage and slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Last week, we looked at chapter 4, and we looked at uh, verses 5, where it says that Jesus came to redeem. We talked about the fact that that means to rescue, to purchase, to set us free. Those who were under the law, if you remember, we talked about the fact that we are those who are under the law. We've all sinned, and because we've sinned, we've fallen under the curse of sin, and uh, we're separated from God. But he came to redeem us, to rescue us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God sends his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Christ has given us freedom. That's the gospel. He's made us sons and daughters of the Most High God, and he's given us the spirit of God to help us to cry out, Abba, Father. Remember that word, Abba? We don't know exactly what it means, but we do know is it was an intimate word used in the family setting in a way that we would use the word dad as opposed to father. There's an intimacy in that word, and the Spirit of God in you helps you to cry out, Abba, Father, and know who you really are. It's actually telling us our new identity. So Galatians is a book about identity, and that's where we're going today. It's a book that's all about identity. So we have this series called Freedom, and when we sink into it, we're going to realize that we have this new identity, and in our new identity, we have freedom. Okay, so uh, on Monday of this week, we sat in, a, in my house, and we shot all those videos, the video of Loretta, and then five other people shared their uh, story as well, and we asked them to come, and the questions we asked were, where have you experienced bondage in your life? Where have you experienced freedom in your life? And what does freedom mean to you? And most people were on camera for about 45 minutes uh, telling their story. And I didn't know this would happen. In hindsight, I'm not surprised. Uh, but I thought the conversation would be much more behavioral. Like, and, it, and in some ways it was. So people talked about addiction. People talked about uh, sin patterns. People talked about pornography. People talked about uh, isolation. People talked about violence. Um, but in the end, what they all talked about was identity. Every single person brought it back to, without me ever even asking the question, their identity. And that when their identity was askew, they went places they shouldn't go. And when they had their right identity, they, they lived out their faith in a more powerful way. So, so really, this whole series comes back to the idea of identity. So here's the deal. I'm going to get to Galatians, I promise. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. says, when you put your trust in Jesus, you become... A new creation. Can we put that up there? A new creation. The old is gone. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. You say yes to Jesus. You become a new creation. Just like we've already said, the old dies. The old is put away. And you become something new. That's the promised life of freedom, this new creation. But what does that really mean? That's what we're going to explore today. So with all that foundational stuff in mind, grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 20. Uh, if you're using the Bibles under your seat, we're on page 973. Some of you are wondering, why are we starting in chapter 2? I thought we were going to walk through the book of Galatians. And I would just encourage you to go back and read the opening chapter in those verses leading up to 20 in the second chapter. And what you'll see, uh, while there's some great stuff in there, Paul is, is sharing his story. 
He's basically saying, this is who I am, and this is what qualifies me to write this letter to you. So he's, he's basically giving his resume, if you will, to the people who are reading the letter. And while we will reference a lot of that stuff, I wanted to get to the heart of what he's trying to say. And that's what happens in verse 20. By the time he gets to verse 20, he's basically said, this is who I am. This is what qualifies me to say what I'm about to say. Now listen up, folks. This is what I want to say. So we're at that point, excuse me, in the letter where Paul is kind of laying it down, if you will. So this is verse 20. You got it? All right, verse 20. This is Paul writing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed and crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, and indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7. Now, know then that this is excuse me, <laughs> know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foresee that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham the man of faith. Now, I want you to jump all the way down to verse 26. And the reason I want you to read verse 26 with me is because this is the summary statement of what Paul is trying to say. He puts a a bow on everything here and kind of wraps it up. And he says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons. And remember, we talked about this last week. Whenever you read sons, you can say and daughters. So we are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Galatians. Thank you for the truth of this passage. Uh, Thank you for just how you have spoken to me throughout the week through uh, these videos and through other people and how you have just brought this passage to life. I thank you uh, for the message that you want people to hear today because I believe uh, it is the message that our church and each of us needs to take hold of. So we just pray that that would go forth clearly. Pray that there would be seeds of truth that go forth. Pray that we would hold on to what is true and that we would make it a part of our daily lives, that you would use it to make us anew. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at verse 20, Paul writes these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, this is one of those sayings that if you've been around the church very long, you've probably heard somebody say it, somebody use it. I would say it's one of those phrases that have become part of Christianese. Do you know what Christianese is? That's when we talk in code. It's actually when we use words that we've learned, but a lot of us don't even really know what they mean. 
So would I press in deeper and they're like, we're going to leave everything at the foot of the cross or whatever. We have these quippy little sayings which confuse people who don't know anything about the church. And in some cases, we're not even sure what they mean. So my, my job today, if you will, is to help us to understand what exactly does this mean? I have been crucified with Christ. But before I do that, I want to just spend a little bit of time having some fun and sharing with you a little bit of uh, Christian ease just to uh, get a little silly with you. So let's watch this video. I just wasn't seeing much fruit. He's going down a slippery slope. How's your heart, man? How's your heart? I'm just such a words guy. It was a total God thing. I'm blessed. I've been working on my testimony. You know he's a believer. I think he's saved. I just pray you'd give him traveling mercies. Mm. Pray for all Tyler's unspokens. Mm. Echo that. Just really like to echo Tyler's prayer, Father. Dude, he brought it. He brought the word. That service last night rocked me. They're pretty purpose-driven. Yeah, it's seeker. Don't they do seeker service there? I feel like he's gotten really watered down. I don't feel like he really teaches the word. There's just not enough meat, you know? Are they non-denom? I don't do that because I feel like it ruins my witness. Been struggling with that. So I'm really wrestling with that. I'm wrestling with a doubt. Need someone to hold me accountable. I'm really trying to be intentional with her. I'm pursuing her for sure. I'm trying to guard her heart. Guard her heart though, bro. I really feel like I'm being released from this, you know? I'm trying to be relevant. I'm just trying to be in the world, not of it. Hey, do you want to join our small group? You want to join my D group? You want to join my cell group, community group, access group, accountability group, Acts 27 group? Uh, it's fun to make fun of yourself. You guys heard about the C groups, right? Uh, anyway, back to the passage. Uh, what is Paul saying? I have been crucified with Christ. What, what does it mean? And I'm going to... Uh, unpack that, but I want you to just see that Paul actually tells you exactly what he means as he continues to write. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. In the life I now live in the flesh, in other words, what you see me doing here and now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The passage is telling us that when you say yes to Jesus, when you come to know Jesus, that the I in you is put away, that you are actually given a new way of thinking, that you're given a, a new way of responding, that you are literally transformed in that moment. When I talked about the, the woman who accepted Christ, that, that young man who accepted Christ, that there was a transaction that took place and they were transformed into something Different. Internally, something became different. They became sons and daughters of the Most High God, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in them to help them to live out this new, true identity. I have been crucified with Christ. The I here represents the old ways. It represents your self-serving ways. It represents a season of life when uh, life was all about you. It's, it's a time when, when you did whatever you wanted to, uh, when you were the master of your own ship. It was this, this focus on me. I, I, I. I have been crucified. The old me has been put to death. We looked at 2 Corinthians. So just think about it. It's another way of saying what 2 Corinthians is saying. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, the I, has been crucified or passed away. And behold, the new has begun. I am dead and he is alive in me. 
But the question we have to ask ourselves is, if this is true, and we got to believe it's true because the scriptures are telling us it's true, then why do my old ways of thinking, why do my old behaviors still play a part in my lives? Why do I still sin? Right? And here's the answer. It's because your true identity is always battling your historical identity. There is always a conflict between who you really are and who you historically believe yourself to be. There's a great author out there. His name is David Benner. He's written a book that we actually require everyone who goes through a discipleship process to read. It's called The Gift of Being Yourself. And he defines this inner identity as who we experience ourselves to be. It's the I each of us carries within us. Do you see this? It's the I each of us carries within us, and this, is, this I can be your true identity, or this I can be your historical identity. It's what you experience yourself to be. Now, when I say historical identity, I'm talking about your story. I'm talking about all the things that you came to believe good and bad about yourself. It's, it has to do with, with your upbringing, your family of origin, the culture that you live in. All of that plays a part in shaping your historical identity, who you believe yourself to be. And I want you to hold on to the fact that it's not all negative. Sometimes it's positive, but it's still an identity that's not in Christ, right? It's before Jesus, and so you form an identity. That's your historical identity. And now there is a battle going on between your historical identity and your true identity. Okay. Now, we are all on the journey, just so you know, of figuring this out. We are all on the journey of continuing to see layers of our historical identity and peeling those back so that we can live more true to our true identity. This is the whole purpose. We have have a thing here called restorative prayer where we sit down with people and we begin to pray with them and they begin to see lies that they believed or, or things that happened to them that caused them to think a certain way. And we peel those back and we ask the spirit of God into that situation so that they can get a right understanding of who they are. What I want you to hear today though, this is the Christian journey. When Paul says work out your salvation, that's what he's talking about. Now go figure out with the help of God, with the help of others, who you really are, because whenever your identity is false, whenever you're living out of your historical identity, you are going to be in bondage. So let me give you an example of this. So the, the, what I want you to see is your true identity is who you are. Your historical identity may be who you think you are, but it isn't who you really are. That's really important. So, so just because you have a new identity doesn't mean that you're living into it because you may believe the historical is true, even though it's false. So I have a friend. Her name is Mary. Mary grew up in a very difficult home life uh, as a young girl. Uh, her father would leave the home for long periods of time, and when he would leave, he would always take up with another woman. And when he got tired of that woman, he would uh, leave her and he would come back into the home and the the mother would let him come back. Um, And when he was in the home, he was distant and he was angry and he was verbally abusive. Well, it didn't take long for Mary to begin to believe in her heart, just as a little girl, that this was her fault, that there was something wrong with her, that she didn't deserve to be loved. 
She told all kinds, of, all kinds of lies were implanted because of this father's abuse of leaving and taking up with somebody else and coming back and being distant and verbally abusive. She began to believe something. She had a historical identity that she was less than. As a young adult, she came to know Jesus, which is a beautiful thing. She met a man who also loved Jesus, and he loves her well. He's home every night. He takes good care of her. He is really loving her well. But here's what happens. When he is late coming home from dinner, she's usually very angry and distant. Why is that? Because even though he loves her well, she's living out of her historical identity. It reminds her of what happened to her with her father. And suddenly, she doesn't even have words for all this, but she's distant because her historical identity is informing her. Here's the reality. Mary cannot really receive the love that's being offered by her husband because she believes something that isn't true. Are you tracking with me? So your historical identity doesn't have to be true, but if you believe it, it's going to affect your ability to receive the love of, of people and the love of God. I say this to you all the time, but keep this in mind. The way we relate vertically and the way we relate horizontally are always connected. So Mary's trouble with receiving love from her husband also translates to her inability to really receive the love that God has for her. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love her. It means her historical identity is keeping her from receiving everything that God has for her. Her identity is shaping. Now, here's the deal. When Mary gets to the place where she really knows who she is, all of her relationships, especially her relationship with God, are going to be transformed for the better. You're tracking with me? This is so important. We, we have to get this. So who is Mary? Right? Who, what is Mary's identity? Well, she's a beloved daughter of God. Right? God delights in her. God never is going to leave her and never going to forsake her. God loves her so much that he gave his son for her. God made her a work of art. God gave her the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. These, these are the truth, whether she believes it and lives into it or not. Galatians are saying, when I came to know Jesus, this old me, what I believed about myself and who I was, was crucified. And now, because of the love of God, I am a son and a daughter of the most high God. So here's how this works out in Galatians. It's a letter that was written to a group of people that were entrenched in a historical identity. And the historical identity they were entrenched in is if I do the right thing for God, then God is going to love me. It was called the law. So if you read through Galatians just in your first sitting, over and over and over, he's going to say, it's the law or was it faith? Was it the law or was it faith? Did you do this for the law? Is the law going to save anybody? We already saw it just in our passage. Why is he doing that? Because that's their historical identity. If I do enough for God, in a lot of ways, that was Loretta's historical identity. You heard her say, for me, God was just a list of do's and don'ts, and it seemed like the don'ts were a lot longer than the do's, and if I got the checklist right, if you heard her whole interview like I did, she talked about a checklist, and I couldn't keep up with the checklist. Guess what? She was living with a false identity. She was living with this, if I just do it the right way, then God's going to love me, but that's not what the scriptures say. He already loves you, and like Loretta has discovered, he just wants to be with you. He just wants you to hang out with him. Jesus is just saying, would you just hang with me? I love you beyond your wildest imagination. I want you to know me, and, and I want you to see that I already know you, and I love you. It's a beautiful picture. So that's this, this book is written. So Paul writes in chapter 3, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? That's your old historical identity, or did it come through faith? Are you so foolish? What began by the Spirit, you're now trying to perfect by the, by the flesh? Do you see what they're doing? There's something true about who they are, that in faith they have Christ, but they've set that aside and they've gone back to their historical identity and are now trying to earn something from God. And just so you know, we all kind of do this in our own sort of ways with the gospel, and that's why it's so important that we get it. It's not about the rules. It's not about following a list. We want to discover what Loretta discovered, that Jesus just wants to hang out with us. And then he says these these words, and this is just important for us to see theologically. He says, just as Abraham believed in God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Don't let anyone ever tell you different. It's always been about faith. Even in the Old Testament with the law, it was still about faith. Abraham believed And because he believed and had faith, he was given righteousness. God saw him as righteous. Not because he went to a foreign land, not because he sacrificed, not because he went up on the hill with Isaac. Those were all important things. Those all came out of his relationship and his identity with God, but it was his belief, his faith that saved him. The Old Testament people were saved by faith. New Testament people are saved by faith. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God, through faith. If you have said yes to Jesus, you have a new, true identity. Not because you performed, not because you cleaned yourself up, not because you did all the right things, simply because you have faith in Jesus, you have a new identity. Now the question is, do you live out of your new identity? Church, I want you to hear this because it's It's time. It's time that we all put aside our historical identity and live into our true identity. If you are in Christ, the I, who you used to be, is crucified. You are a new creation, and it's time for us to live into it. Embrace your true identity and be who you were chosen to be. But the question is how? And some of you are still wrestling even with what I'm saying because this is hard because we still wrestle with the flesh, because we still do what we don't want to do. That's what Paul is writing about in Romans. There is this battle going on between the historical identity and the true identity. So how am I to navigate this? What, am I, what do I need to put in place so that I can do it? And the first thing you need to know, it's by faith. The whole letter is about faith. You got to believe what the scripture says about you. You got to know what the scripture says about you and to say, if it says it, I am choosing to believe it. Even if I don't necessarily feel it, I am choosing to believe it. Learn what the Bible, every time you come to the scriptures, when you open it up, say, God, show me who you are and show me who I am in your eyes and begin to make that part of who you are. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderful made. It says you're a work of art. It says you're a child of the Most High God. It says you were created for and with a purpose. He says you're known. He says you're pursued. He says you're empowered. He says you're comforted. He says you're adored. He says you're delightful. But do you believe it? Right? Do you live it? Do you live this true identity or do you live your historical identity? It's imperative that you pay attention. I think that the... Uh, the, 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 the whole idea of self-talk is so critical here. I say this to you, seems like every week, but no one talks to you more than you, so you better pay attention to what you're saying to yourself. And here's what you need to do. 
You need to know who you are in Christ. And when you have a thought that's condemning, when you have a thought that's anything but the truth of your new identity, you need to speak it out loud. I'm not saying just take the thought captive. You need to say verbally, if you're, if you're at work and you need to hang up the phone and go in the bathroom so you don't embarrass yourself, that's okay, or just embarrass yourself. Either way, it's okay. But you just need to say, you have a thought that says, uh, you know, Doug, you, you can't do this. No. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? You take the lie and you replace it out loud. Why do we do it out loud? Because something changes when we say it loud. It changes this landscape around us. It scares the evil one who is trying to say to you, you got nothing. You can't do this. You, can't, you don't have what it takes. You need to speak it out loud. So when we look at the passage, it says what? It says, stand firm. Right? Stand firm. This is how you stand firm. Stomp your foot if you have to. Do what you need to do, but you say what you need to say. So you hear, uh, you're nothing but a screw-up, and you say, no, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a work of art. God has made me for a plan. And you make sure to tell yourself and anyone that's listening what they need to hear. You hear the voice say, you're so weak. That's good, because when I'm weak, he's strong. Right? Replace the lie with the truth. We all have to do this. I'm just telling you. And here's what I need you to do. And I didn't say this in the first service, and I regret it. You cannot do this on your own. You need people in your life. You need to confess what you're feeling and have them even say over you, you know that's not true, right? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So you, you live in community. I can tell you all of the different people who have spoken words of truth over me when I didn't know what words I needed to speak over myself. You need to be in community. You need to have people in your life. You need to have people that know the word of God better than you so they can say, that's not what the word of God says, Doug. The word of God says you are, and you replace the truth of the lie. Don't live in your historical identity. Embrace your true identity. Remind yourself of who you are. And don't let yourself be dragged down by the enemy. The passage we read today says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that, that we would take hold of this. Uh, I, I don't know that there's anything greater for us. I just think about all of our our tendencies to, to isolate, our tendencies towards sin, our tendency uh, towards broken relationships. It all comes out of this false identity, this historical identity. Lord, if we could just take hold of who we really are, it really does change everything. I thank you for just that clarity while we were doing the videos that you just made it so crystal clear to me that this is, this is where we need to go. Lord, I pray for the people in the room who are struggling, that they would be willing to speak those words that they're feeling that aren't of you with someone who can help speak truth over them. Pray that they would be willing to stand firm and, and speak the truth over themselves. Lord, I pray even today as people come down and we have a chance to pray with them, that we would have a chance to just speak a word of truth over each person. Lord, thank you that we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but the life we live is Christ in us and help us to just live out that truth. Thank you that we really are 
a new creation. It's just not quippy sayings, but it's the truth. Lord, if there's anyone in the room who just has a sense that they need something more to get through this, that they would come down and we would get them set up for restorative prayer so that they can walk through some of the the lies that have taken hold in their childhood. Thank you for the truth of Galatians. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we uh, prayed for you uh, in the chapel. There was a group that prayed for you. Uh, Just know uh, the theme throughout the day just has been that there's some people that are just feeling overwhelmed, just have a sense of desperation. Uh, We would love to pray over you for that. Uh, they had a sense that somebody's struggling with some elbow problems. We would love to pray for that as well. Uh, last week we talked about an ankle injury and the person came down and uh, reported that they felt that uh, the Lord moved and they received healing as well. So we just know that God wants to do great things among us. So if you need prayer for what I've talked about or physical or spiritually, come on down. We got some great people that would love to pray over you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Thank you.